Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes graphic descriptions of gore, as well as dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. It was just before dawn on June 3, 1854, and the sleepy hamlet of Kutchog, Long Island, was beginning to stir. Local farmers were already up, beginning their daily routine. That Saturday was like any other day in the countryside. There were livestock to feed, fields to tend, and errands to run. But on the Wickham farm, it was as if the morning would never come. This idyllic house had become the site of unspeakable horrors. Ghoulish streaks of blood slowly dried on the wallpaper and between the floorboards. The gentle sounds of the night mingled with the feeble, shallow breath of the dying. Mr. Wickham and Stephen Winston, likely a young indentured servant, lay in drying pools of their own blood. But Mrs. Wickham, the woman of the house, hadn't survived the night. There was no question who had done this horrific deed. Another worker, Nicholas Bean, had attacked these people. But these unfortunate victims were only part of a much larger plan. His real prize was Ellen Holland, the woman who refused his affections. But his plan went awry. Ellen escaped, and Nicholas saw no other option but to flee into the woods. No one knew where Nicholas Bean was. But as the dawn slowly approached, the Kutchog houses lit up as townsfolk heard about the gruesome events of the previous night. By the time the sky finally began to lighten over Long Island, nearly everyone in the surrounding towns knew about Nicholas Bean. Something had to be done, and there was no time to waste. The hunt was on. Welcome to Solved Murders, True Crime Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Wednesday, we step into the world of true crime's most fascinating murder cases and tell the tale of how real-life detectives close the case. You can find episodes of Solved Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free exclusively on Spotify. This is our final episode on the Wickham Axe Murders. Last week, we covered how one man's obsession led him to unspeakable violence. This week, we'll cover the hunt for the killer and how an unexpected surprise marked the end of this terrible tragedy. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Blair. Want to hear something scary? 
Join me as I read the creepiest urban legends, folk tales, and ghost stories that I learn on my travels around the world and that we receive from listeners like you. But only if you think you can handle it. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, sweet screams. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. When the morning sunlight finally broke through the windows of the Wickham farm, it thrust everything into a ghoulish clarity. As Ellen Holland and the small group of neighbors tended to the two remaining survivors, they could finally see the sheer magnitude of the bloodshed from the previous night. Ellen's clothes, face, and hands were coated in a crust of drying blood. Footprints smeared streaks of dark red across the hardwood floors, and bloody fingerprints coated the doorknob to the Wickham's bedroom. Everyone had clotted blood underneath their fingernails or clinging to the soles of their boots. Dr. Carpenter was the most hellish sight. His arms were covered in a cracked layer of blood from all three victims. But he had no time to clean himself up. Mrs. Wickham had already died, and the doctor was sure that the two remaining victims would die within the day. As the doctor tended to Mr. Wickham and Stephen Winston, the rest of the group searched for any clue pointing to Nicholas Bean's whereabouts. Luckily, they didn't have to look far. Everyone, there's a clear path through the cornfield out back. A bunch of stalks were mowed down. There are also bloodstains on the paddock gates. I bet you Bean ran through that field and into the woods going east. What's out east? The docks? Do you think he could have hopped on a boat? I doubt it. By now, everyone's looking for him, and he knows it. He's got to be out there in the wilderness somewhere. You don't think... He wouldn't come back here, would he? To finish the job? No way. He's a marked man. Whatever he was trying to do to you, he failed last night. You're safe here. Now, we'll need our strongest men to catch that scoundrel, wherever he is. Luckily for the group, the news of the attack had already spread across Kutchog by mid-morning, and soon people all over Long Island were inspired to help. By that afternoon, about 1,000 people had joined the search for Nicholas Bean. A group of men descended upon the Long Island docks, searching everywhere. But Nicholas wasn't there. The remaining group of men who had joined Ellen Holland and Catherine Dowd headed another search through the woods, hoping to have better luck. But no one could find a trace of the fugitive. As the day progressed, the search grew more desperate. The man was like a ghost, slipping through the fingers of anyone who tried to catch him. Rumors ricocheted from group to group. Someone claimed to see Bean in the town of Greenport, a three-hour walk up the coast. This was the best tip the search party had received, and slowly they made their way north. 
As dusk fell on Long Island, the manhunt for Nicholas Bean had nothing to show for a long day of searching. But no one made a move to turn in for the night. Each passing minute made their task feel all the more urgent. While a growing number of townspeople searched the Long Island landscape, the scene back at the Wickham house grew bleaker by the minute. Dr. Carpenter sat with Mr. Wickham as the man moved in and out of consciousness. Francis, I can hardly see you, darling. It's me, James. Dr. Carpenter. From down the way, you've been hurt badly, but I'm here to help take care of you. <laughs> Francis, you sound so strange. Did, did you catch a cold? I'm, I'm certainly feeling a bit feverish myself. Why don't you just close your eyes? I'm sure it will be over soon. The doctor sat and watched as Mr. Wickham's breathing grew more and more shallow. Eventually, his chest stopped moving. Dr. Carpenter checked his pocket watch and wrote down the time. It was a little after 8 p.m. on June 3rd. Now, Nicholas Bean was responsible for the deaths of two people. The news of James Wickham's death slowly spread across Long Island, and as darkness fell once again across the countryside, the search party continued wandering through the dark with a light of their lanterns illuminating the quiet woods around them. The group was nearing the small town of Southhold, still an hour or so away from Greenport. No one expected to sleep much that night. Even the townsfolk who didn't participate in the search struggled to rest their minds. It was nearing nine o'clock when a Southhold man named John Thompson heard a knock at his door. Perhaps thinking it could be someone from the search party, he quickly opened it. A young man was standing at the threshold. He looked badly beaten. His face was dirty, and his clothes were torn in random places. Mr. Thompson looked at the stranger with surprise. Sir, I, I don't mean to bother you, but could you spare any food or water? I've had quite the day. Of course. Please, come inside. What in the world happened to you? Oh, it's, uh, it's a long story. Hold on. I think I know you. <laughs> I, I get that a lot. I have one of those faces. No, I don't think so. Where did you say you got those bruises again? I, I didn't. I know who you are. I know who you are and what you did, and I'm not letting you out of here. And with that, Mr. Thompson grabbed his rifle and lunged for the door, shoving his body against it. But as he pointed the gun at Nicholas Bean, the young man pointed a pistol back at him. The two men stood in tense silence for a moment, staring at each other. But then, Mr. Thompson heard a carriage approaching. In a snap judgment, he threw open the front door and called out to the stranger for help. The driver jumped down from his seat and hastily tried to secure his horse. But he wasn't fast enough. As Mr. Thompson glanced out of the front door, Nicholas rushed at a window, threw it open, and leapt through. Mr. Thompson heard movement and turned around to see Bean escaping. He called out to the carriage driver again and told him that the fugitive was running toward the woods. Mr. Thompson and the carriage driver sprinted across the fields, chasing Bean as his silhouette shrank in the distance. 
But by the time they reached the woods, Bean had disappeared into the dark. Coming up, the search party finally corners Nicholas Bean. Stay with us. Every so often, something so impactful happens, it has the power to capture the attention of a whole country. An event so deadly or dumbfounding, it has no choice but to live on in infamy. Hi, Parcasters. It's Ashley Flowers, and I'm exposing the most sinister cases from the darkest corners of the globe in my new true crime limited series, International Infamy. Every Tuesday, come along as I guide you on a wicked world tour. 15 different countries, 15 infamous crimes. Take a trip to Iceland, where six people confessed to a murder that never actually happened. Journey to Mexico, where a Lucha Libre wrestler moonlights as a serial killer. And travel to New Zealand, where two friends hatch a deadly plan to become famous. Each episode of International Infamy explores the twists and turns of a notoriously high-profile case, zeroing in on the cultural details which make the crime unique to its location, and explaining why it couldn't have happened anywhere else. Follow my new Spotify original from ParCast, International Infamy with Ashley Flowers, and catch a new episode every week. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. Shortly after 9 o'clock on June 3rd, 1854, Nicholas Bean fled into the woods. Mr. Thompson and his companion watched him go, too exhausted to follow. The two men were dejected as they slowly walked back to a crowd of neighbors who had gathered at the commotion. Thompson, what was all that commotion about? Nicholas Bean was just in my house, but he got away. But he hasn't gotten far. I bet we can still find him. What do you say, fellas? This night isn't over yet. Let's do it, but we better hurry. A large group of armed townspeople strode into the night, and some even brought their dogs to aid in the search. The young fugitive was close, and the men could feel it. Dozens of men fanned out into the fields, their eyes straining against the dark for any sight of Nicholas Bean. But there was a lot of ground to cover. Southhold's landscape included patches of woods and massive crop fields. It was a warm night, and under other circumstances it would have been pleasant. But these men were exhausted from another night of hunting, and their skin was pockmarked with mosquito bites. After hours of searching in the dark, the search party began to worry that Nicholas Bean had escaped yet again. A small number of townsmen decided to loop back toward town in order to cover more ground. Crickets chirped as their boots tramped through the wheat fields. But suddenly, one of the men leading the group stopped in his tracks. He 
He motioned to the others to crouch beneath the stalks. What are you doing? Shh, look. Do you see him? Oh my god, do you think it could be- Will you quit talking? We only have one shot at this. A man stood in front of the search party, silhouetted in the darkness. He crept towards the main road, looking around him with furtive, constant glances. It had to be Nicholas Bean. The young man didn't notice that he was being watched. Delicately, the small group of men crawled toward the main road, keeping a constant eye on Bean's form in the darkness. But suddenly, Nicholas Bean's head snapped up. He looked into the field, directly at the spot where the search party was slowly approaching. In a sudden burst of energy, he took off running down the road. The group of townsmen scrambled out from their hiding place and followed Bean toward town. One of the men had brought his dog, and he quickly unleashed it. The canine took off running, but this strategy proved to be the biggest mistake of all. In the excitement, the dog got confused and attacked another man, a member of the search party who had apparently been walking with another group. The men had no choice but to rush to drag the dog away from the poor stranger. And in the distance, Nicholas Bean sprinted away, lost again in the darkness. The search party eventually returned to their houses, dejected and in desperate need of rest. After so much time searching, it was as if they were back to square one. The following day was a Sunday, and in 19th century America, that meant that the search would have to be paused for the next 24 hours, at least to an extent. Even with a killer on the loose, Sunday was treated as a holy day and a necessary period of mourning and rest. For now, Nicholas Bean was safe. At the Wickham farmhouse, Dr. Carpenter sat with Stephen Winston, the only remaining survivor of the attack. Stephen was only 14 years old, and he was also the only black person who lived in the house. Ellen Holland and Catherine Dowd had likely remained at the farm, helping the doctor care for the young patient. How is he doing today? Same as yesterday. He's breathing, but he's unconscious. God, the poor child. Is he going to survive? Unfortunately, all we can do is wait and see. I'm not sure if he'll ever come to, but it looks like he's holding on. The rest of that day was uneventful. Some men wandered through the local train stations, peeking under the freight cars and loosely carrying rifles under their arms. But the real work would have to begin again on Monday. When Monday came, the huge search party fanned out across the countryside again. Two men, John Jones and John Jacobs, chose to search the marshland around the Hermitage Railway Station. They waded through the swamp, looking around for any signs of life. But suddenly, Jones tripped over something beneath the water. Joe, what was that? <laughs> you trip on a branch or something? Get it together, man. I don't know what that was, but it wasn't a branch. Come on, help me find it. <laughs> all right, all right, but you're going to feel ridiculous when it's just... Oh, my God. Jones had tripped on a leg. The body of a man had been hidden by the knee-deep brackish water. 
But as the two men dragged the body out of the mud, they discovered that the stranger was still breathing. His face and his neck were coated in mud. As Jacobs brushed it away, he saw that the man had a ragged gash across his throat. It almost looked self-inflicted. Jacobs kept wiping away the mud until he could get a better look at the man's face. Suddenly, Jacobs took a step backward in shock. The man lying in the marsh was Nicholas Bean. Coming up, the courts seal Nicholas Bean's fate. Stay with us. And now, back to our story. On June 5th, 1854, all of Long Island was in a frenzy. Only two and a half days had passed since the horrific events at the Wickham Farm, but people were already worried that the man responsible would never be found. The unlikely discovery of Nicholas Bean's wounded body was a coincidence nearly too good to be true. And yet, it was true. Townsfolk watched with amazement as a buggy was brought in to carry the injured man to the county jail in Riverhead. However, before he embarked on his journey to the jail, a doctor tended to Bean's wounds in a nearby barn. The young man was clearly exhausted and had suffered from serious blood loss, The gash across his neck was still raw, but it was expected to heal up nicely. The doctor worked in silence, with his patient seemingly in a state of unconsciousness. But slowly, Nicholas Bean began to wake up. Uh, where, Where, where am I? You're in a barn, Mr. Bean. We're preparing to take you to the Riverhead Jail. No, 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 I'm not supposed to be here. It didn't work. Excuse me? I bet you've seen a lot of botched jobs in your line of work, Doc. Now what will Ellen think? I'll have this scar forever. Let's just get you cleaned up. You should count yourself lucky. It's a wonder they didn't hang you on the spot. Once the wound was bandaged, Nicholas Bean was transported to the small county jail. By the time he arrived, there was already a mass of people gathered outside. Everyone in Long Island knew about Bean, and now, curious townsfolk hoped to catch a glimpse of the notorious killer. Bean's jail cell became a popular tourist destination, as reporters and townspeople ventured out to Riverside to gawk at the young man. Despite their curiosity, no one entertained the idea that Nicholas Bean was innocent, All the evidence at the scene, especially the straw hat, pinned him to the crime. But the murder trial wasn't set to begin until October, and in the meantime, Nicholas Bean's cell was the cheapest thrill that anyone could find. The young man welcomed the attention. To him, this was the perfect moment to set the record straight. Come on, Bean, tell it to us straight. Do you seriously think you'll get out of this a free man? Listen, did I act out of line? Sure. But a man will do crazy things for the woman he loves, right? And I really think the jury will understand that. Uh, I mean, Nick, I can't say I ever did what you did for a girl. You'll see. I'll get out of this mess, and then Ellen and I are gonna get married. 
You mean the same Ellen who you allegedly tried to kill on the night of June 2nd? <sighs> Heart wants what it wants. She and I will be very happy together, I can assure you. Yeah, we'll see about that. As the months passed, the general public was treated to a vivid portrait of Nicholas Bean. According to the papers, he was confident and completely delusional. By the fall, nearly everyone across the state of New York knew about the Wickham axe murders. Everyone looked forward to October 24th, the day that the trial was set to begin. When the court doors opened that afternoon, all eyes were on Nicholas Bean, and in his classic fashion, the young man appeared unbothered by the charges made against him. Nicholas Bean, you're hereby charged with the murder of a Mr. James Wickham and a Mrs. Francis Wickham. Are you prepared to receive these charges? I sure am. I'm ready for anything. Uh, is, is Ellen here? Miss Ellen Holland? Mr. Bean, you are aware that you're being tried for a very serious crime, correct? Sure, sure, and I'm sure we can sort all that out, but, uh, is Ellen Holland going to be in attendance? At that moment, Bean's lawyer, horrified by his client's comments, interrupted the conversation. He formally stated that the defense was pleading not guilty in the crimes described, and the court proceeded to select the jury for the trial. But the damage was already done. After the trial commenced the next day, the defense made a feeble attempt to distance Nicholas Bean from the murder charges, but there was only so much that could be done for a man who showed no sign of remorse. The prosecution, on the other hand, couldn't have been more delighted with Bean's behavior in the courtroom. It was no secret that the public already thought the young man was guilty of his crimes, and Bean's apathy towards the trial only furthered that belief. Ultimately, the witness statement sealed Nicholas Bean's fate. Neighbors spoke about the young man's temper, and Dr. Carpenter described the nightmarish aftermath at the Wickham farmhouse. But one of the most surprising witnesses was the only survivor of the attack, Stephen Winston. By October, the young boy had mostly recovered from his wounds. But unfortunately, his memory of the night was completely blank. All he could do was confirm that certain pieces of evidence did, in fact, belong to Nicholas Bean, notably the straw hat. Despite his memory loss, Stephen Winston held a somber presence in the courtroom, the image of the young boy, still healing after such a horrific event, was a chilling example of Bean's violence. Out of the many witnesses called to speak on behalf of the prosecution, one was more anticipated than the rest, Ellen Holland. And on October 25th, only one day into the trial, she took her seat in the witness stand. She spoke clearly, staring ahead while Nicholas Bean glared at her from his seat. And you said that the defendant became fixated on you? Is that correct? Yes. He proposed to me several times. I made it clear to him that I didn't return his affections, but that only made him angry. And other times he would pretend that I hadn't said anything at all. Did the defendant ever make you feel unsafe or in danger? Yes, he did. 
Before he was fired, I feared for my safety in that house. And I hate knowing that my fears were warranted. Why do you think he attacked Mr. and Mrs. Wickham on the night of June 2nd? I think he was trying to get to me. To kill me. Or, I can't allow myself to think about it. But he's a sick man. And he deserves everything he gets. Ellen went on to recount her memory of that fateful night, how she had heard screams and groans from the floor below, and Francis Wickham's voice shouting the name Nicholas before she was attacked. Over the course of the trial, the events that led to the attack came into focus, and together they painted a portrait of Nicholas Bean as a vengeful, obsessed killer. For Nicholas Bean. All of his troubles began and ended with Ellen Holland. If she had simply accepted his proposals, everything would have been fine. She was the reason he lost his temper at Francis Wickham. She was the reason he lost his job. And something had to be done about it. The night of June 2nd, Bean arrived at the Wickham farmhouse shortly after midnight, He was familiar with the farm and knew where the equipment was kept. Scythes, knives, hammers, there was a wealth of weapons to choose from. Nicholas chose an axe. In the darkness, the young man approached the farmhouse. He didn't bother trying to open any of the doors, as he knew that they would be locked. Instead, he crept around to the kitchen and silently opened one of the windows. Before stepping inside, he slipped off his shoes and left them on the grass. Nicholas Bean gingerly stepped through the window and into the quiet kitchen. There he took off his straw hat and set it on the furnace. He knew that Stephen Winston and the Wickhams had bedrooms on the second floor. They would have to be dealt with quickly. With his hand tightly clenched around the staff of the axe, Nicholas crept first into the young boy's room. For a moment, he stood next to the sleeping child. Then, with a swift motion, Bean lifted his arm and swung down with all of his strength, striking the boy in the head with the blade. He swung again and again, striking the child's head with the axe. So far, Nicholas Bean's plan was going well. He quickly left the young boy's bedroom. He expected to kill Mr. and Mrs. Wickham in a similar fashion, but his plan suddenly changed. As he entered the Wickham's bedroom, both Francis and James Wickham stood there to confront him, and they were able to push him out into the hallway. When Mrs. Wickham saw the bloody axe, she began to scream, begging Nicholas to take whatever he wanted from the house, but to let her and her husband live. The young man had no such plans, and he shoved the Wickhams back into their bedroom. Nicholas Bean attacked Mr. Wickham first, striking the man over 20 times with the axe. Mrs. Wickham watched with terror as her husband was turned into nothing more than a bloody mass, as every strike sent another stream of blood into the room. In a burst of desperation, she ran to the bedroom window and tried to escape through it. But Nicholas Bean saw her trying to escape. He grabbed Mrs. Wickham and dragged her back into the room, tossing her to the floor. He struck Mrs. Wickham with so much ferocity that he shattered her skull. This diversion had cost Nicholas Bean precious time. 
and he quickly ran up the stairs to the attic room where Ellen Holland slept. But by this time, she and Catherine Dowd had heard the commotion and escaped across the roof. Nicholas burst through the door only to find the room empty and the window open. For a moment, the young man stood in the empty room. His face and hands were slick with blood, and he could feel panic beginning to rise in his chest. Up until this point, his plan had gone well, and he fully anticipated being able to enact his revenge with no consequences. But again, Ellen Holland had ruined his plans. He could either try to find her, or he could flee. After a moment's pause, Bean decided to make a run for it. He rushed back down the stairs, jumped through the Wickham's bedroom window, grabbed his shoes, and ran into the night. The evidence against Nicholas Bean was overwhelming, and it didn't take long for a jury to convict him. On October 27th, Nicholas Bean was found guilty of murder and sentenced to a public execution by hanging. Leading up to his death, Nicholas Bean held on to his obsession with Ellen Holland. On December 14, 1854, the day before his execution, he told a priest that he forgave Ellen for her betrayal, despite the fact that her testimony sealed his fate. Nicholas Bean remains a ghoulish fixture in Long Island. The Wickham farmhouse is supposedly haunted, and the morbidly curious can still be seen passing by. The scandalous tale of the Wickham Axe murders remains an enduring ghost story in Kutchog. But Ellen Holland's story is also worth telling. Despite the horrific violence that Nicholas Bean brought into her life, Ellen's life did not end with the murder trial. Far from it. A few short years after the trial concluded, Ellen Holland fell in love with another Irish immigrant, Daniel Haggerty. The two eventually settled down in Kutchog, not far from where the Wickham murders had occurred. Together, Ellen and her husband ran a successful farm with their three daughters, establishing a comfortable life for themselves. They used a great portion of their earnings to donate to local charities, and by the end of her life, Ellen Holland was one of the most beloved members of her community. When Ellen died in 1901, Multiple local papers remarked on her death, celebrating her accomplishments and her generous spirit. But not once did these articles mention the Wickham murders or Nicholas Bean. Despite Bean's most vicious intentions, in the end, Ellen Holland wasn't remembered for her death. She was remembered for her life. Thanks again for tuning in to Solved Murders. We'll be back next Wednesday with a new episode. For more information on the Wickham Axe murders, amongst the many sources we used, we found Murder on Long Island, a 19th century tale of tragedy and revenge by Jeffrey K. Fleming and Amy K. Folk, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Solved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Solve Murders True Crime Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. 
Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Solve Murders was written by Georgia Hampton, with writing assistance by Giles Hofseth, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Mickey Taylor. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Kai Jordan, Drew Lawn, Ellie Schiff, Julian Smith, and Rebecca Thomas. Solved Murder stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. Hi, listeners. It's Ashley Flowers, and here's a quick reminder to check out my new true crime limited series, International Infamy. Every Tuesday, I'm taking you across the globe to look at 15 of the most notorious crimes from 15 different countries. Some stories are sure to shock. Some may leave you stumped, but all are quite the trip. Follow my new series, International Infamy with Ashley Flowers. Listen for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.